The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Of course, you're listening to The Real Investment Show. So a couple of things, uh, you know, that, you know, um, happened over the weekend, of course, is we kind of look at where we are in terms of the markets and kind of where we're moving forward. And, of course, you know, lots of selling here over the last week or so in particular. And obviously this is we've been through this numerous times this year. And it's amazing, really, psychologically, how fast people move from fear back to greed. And we've had several sell-offs this year. If you go back to February, March of this year, we had a big tech route back in March. And people were, uh, you know, and we were down almost 5% at that point, And it was terrible. And the world was ending. And, you know, Kathy Wood's arc was getting destroyed at that point. And, you know, People couldn't figure out what was going on, and you know this was the end of the bull market. And then, of course, we rallied back. And as soon as the market started rallying back, everybody's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, we're we're it's all good. We're we're back to all time highs, right?" And, you know, in about every month, we get this correction back to the fifty day moving average, and we kind of go through the same, you know, panic driven headline rush that we get on the markets. I mean, you know, markets in turmoil. All in the month of October, you know, we had this market sell off and. Oh, sorry, in September, we had this market sell-off. It was almost 5% down from the peak every day on CNBC. Markets in turmoil, markets in turmoil. So it, it's, you know, we go through this, and, and really this emotional gyration is driven a lot by what we see on the media. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a constant battle with the media over, you know, what's actually happening in the markets versus what they tell you. And... You know, this is something I was on. Uh, I was on Fox Business on Friday with Charles Payne. We were talking about this very same thing because you know, back in mid-November, we were right before Thanksgiving, writing about hey, mutual fund distributions are coming. This happens every year, and with a very, with a liquidity, you know, structure in the markets that's very thin, it doesn't take a lot of selling to exacerbate some downside. And yet, you know, you know, back in November, we had people record long call options. We were writing about that in the newsletter. You got lots of speculation and, and, you know, very extended markets and a lot of things. You know, stocks have been making big, big moves. We had seen stocks moving very quickly to the upside. And of course, when there's no liquidity, and we've talked about this before, is that there's a lot of, you know, there's a few people willing to buy at current levels. And so sellers and buyers are kind of sort of matched at this point. And, and you know, we're seeing that type of, of movement, right? Very light volume and internal breath, really not very good. The number of stocks above their 50-day moving average, 200-day moving average is not healthy. We've talked about that narrowness of the breath that, you know, and the problem with that comes down to this liquidity issue. And, and the liquidity issue really shows itself when the markets are selling off. Because that's where you see things, like you saw on Friday with DocuSign, down 40% a day. This is a good company. It was very overvalued, right? Speculators have been chasing in into DocuSign because of this whole, you know, work-at-home structure. You know, we're all going to have to sign contracts on computers now and because nobody's ever going to work in an office again. So stock had gotten really overvalued. And this lack of liquidity really showed up on Friday 
when the stock was down 40% in a day. Now, they had some disappointing guidance, but it wasn't worth a 50%, you know, a 40% haircut to the valuation of the company. But that's that problem with liquidity because there's no real buyers up here. The buyers are much lower. And so when there's a lot of people that want to sell, buyers are going, yeah, I'll buy it from you at this price. And you may not like it, but that's where you sell it. And this has to go with, and again, I said we talked a little bit about managing risk because this was the email that I got over the weekend. It was like, well, how do I manage risk? How do I hedge risk? Well, hedging risk is not complicated. You just have to be willing to give up something to hedge. And see, this is the problem for most investors. And I get this all the time. People come in and go, oh, I'm, I'm super conservative or I'm super aggressive, you know, whatever it is. And then when the market does the opposite of what they think they are, then they want the opposite, right? So, you know, if they come in and they say, oh, I'm really conservative, and the markets are running up 10 or 15%. It's like, well, I, we need to, you know, I, you know, why am I not beating the index, right? Well, because you said you were conservative, your allocation set up that way. Or I'm super aggressive, and now you're down 5 or 10%. You're going, you know, why am I losing so much money? Well, because the market's going down, and you're super aggressive. So psychology is important. And you got to understand that if you're going to hedge for risk, that means you've got to lower your expectation for return somewhat. And think about it this way. You have two choices. When you're driving your car, you can drive your car with a brake or without a brake. Now, you can drive your car without a brake, right? I can take, take the brakes out of your car, send you off to work. <laughs> you may get there. But as long as you're on the freeway, you're fine, right? Because everybody's moving the same direction. And as long as nobody screws up somewhere in front of you, you really don't need a brake. Right? You, you just flow right along with traffic. It's all fine. The problem comes is that when you need the brake, right? And you don't have one. And this is the same thing with a portfolio. You know, if you want to get the maximum return out of your portfolio, you want to track a benchmark index. You have to do that without a break. And as, a, and as a consequence of that, you are going to have to suffer the ebbs and the flows of the market. If you want to beat the index, you've got to take on more risk than the index. Which means now your accelerator is tied to the floor and you have no break. <laughs> So you have to take on a lot more risk. Now, again, it may be fine for a while. The problem becomes when something goes wrong. So part of investing is figuring out what it is that you're trying to achieve and figuring out a way to get to your goal without completely crashing yourself along the way. And this is what we forget. You know, my goal is to make five, six, seven percent a year, whatever that number is. We call it in, in our shop, we call it a hurdle rate. So when we do your financial plan and, and Danny and Richard do and John Penn do a great job of this, but they go through the financial plan with you and they say, okay, look, in order to meet this goal, you want to have X dollars in the They're bank really at, at, at retirement, you're going to need this much money. 
And to get there, based on what you have today, we need to make about 4% a year, 5% a year, whatever that number is. That's your hurdle rate. And if you hit that number every year, you're going to get to your goal. Now, does that mean that once you get to 4 or 5% that you just cash in all your chips for the year and go home? You could do that, right? <laughs> but, you know, the goal is saying, look, we want to make sure that we control risk so that we don't lose 30 or 40% of your money and then have to make that up. Plus, and this is what everybody forgets, right? The, the, you know, the whole buy and hold analysis, you know, that people preach on, on television they forget to tell you this one very important fact. They go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if, if we're buying and holding, you're going to make money long term. And sure, there's going to be periods of time where you lose money, but markets always come back. Well, here's the one little aspect they, they forget to tell you about buy and hold investing. If I'm supposed to make 5 or 6% a year and I lose 50% of your money, Right. Now, eventually, the markets are going to come back. So you're going to make your 50 or 60% of your money back. So let's say, you know, hey, let's go back to 2008, right? 2008, market crashes, you lose 50% of your money. And the markets got back to even in 2017 to where we were back in 2015. Or sorry, 2008. So it took this whole long period of time to get back to even. So that's fine, right? So you get back to even. But they forget to tell you about the five, six, seven, eight years between the previous peak and where you, and, and getting back to even that you still have to make up for because you needed five or six or seven percent a year, whatever your number was, for all those years. So if you had five percent a year compounded, and this is the other you know big myth of the markets, is that markets compound, they don't. But now you've got to make up that 50% loss plus all the years that you didn't make a 5, 6, 7% rate of return. And that's why most people don't reach their financial goals. If they and look, if investing was as easy as everybody says it was, then why is it that, you know, hardly anybody, 80% of Americans have less than $500 in the bank and less than one year salary saved up? Investing's not easy because of these very these very issues. Seems easy at times, but it's not. So hedging risk and, and understanding that you can hedge risk, but you have to give up something for that hedge. It's not a free thing. But hedging risk is a very simple process. And there's some very simple ways to do that. But before you start going in and saying, oh, I'm going to hedge the risk in my portfolio, you've got to understand what that means. And that means that you are applying a break to your portfolio. It will lower your returns. You cannot have a lower risk portfolio and match the benchmark index. Just doesn't work that way. And guess what? There's nothing wrong with that. If you protect the downside risk of your portfolio, in other words, when the markets are down 15 or 20 or 30% and you're down 3, 4, 5%, you getting yourself back to even and begin to accrue value towards your retirement goals happens much quicker than those trying to play catch up 
from a major market decline. So I, I said we talk about hedging risk. So now that we understand that you know risk hedging risk requires giving up something. We'll talk about how to actually hedge risk and some opportunities when we come back from the break. I'm Real Science Roberts on the Real Investment Show. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com retirement's not what it used to be and long-term care could enhance your golden years the question is not whether you can afford it but whether you can afford not to have it our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement join jonathan penn and chris liebham for the basics of long-term care register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care december 9th at noon realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. You know, so I was just listening to that commercial about Coach Murphy, my doctor. So if you don't know the story, I went to, I, I tore my knee up running and uh, I went to see my uh, doctor who's a knee, an orthopedic surgeon and um went in and saw him and i call him coach murphy because his his remedy is always rub some dirt on it and walk it off and so i've been hobbling around here for you know a couple of weeks but i've been doing exactly what he told me right he, he gave me some stretches to do and he gave me this box of tic tacs he said take this and you'll be fine i'll be son of a gun i'm completely fine the magic of tic tacs exactly and but no, I mean, I'm, you know, I did what he said and, and you know, so I'm back to normal and I've been I'm back to running. So great. Yeah. No, yeah. it's all good. I was just like problem. Solved. But no, it's all good. though. I definitely didn't want to like have surgery, but, you know, he's just this he's this crotchety old guy. You got to love it. Anyway, uh, so before the break, talking a little bit about hedging. So, we, you know, the, the, the point I want you to understand, and this is the mistake that people make, is that. You know, hedging risk requires you to give up something. And people think they want to hedge. People always think they want to hedge risk when markets are going down. Then as soon as the market's going up, they go, why well, do I want to hedge, right? The markets are going up. You know, that's not how hedging risk works. And that's not how portfolio management works. But you've got to, you've got to, you've got to pick your poison, right? You either are going to suffer the slings and arrows of market declines when they occur if you're going to be aggressively allocated the more aggressively allocated you are the more that's going to hurt or you can learn to live with a little less and have much better returns long term it just depends on what you want but i said when we come back from the break that we talk a little bit about how to actually hedge risk See, and that's the important question. How do you do it? Right? There's, there's, there's tons of ways to hedge risk. The easiest way, I know this is a complicated one. So, you know, just if you're driving, I suggest you pull over and pull out a notepad because I'm going to, you know, really get into this for you. Sell something. Raise a little cash. 
If you have less money, so if, if your portfolio is 100% equities and you're tracking the S&P 500, if you want to hedge risk, in other words, you want to lower how much you're going to lose when the markets go down, sell something. I know it's complicated, right? Another way to do that. Okay, well, let's back up real quick too. Uh, let me let me I'm gonna let me say something about selling something because people always take this wrong. We regularly write, and so if you haven't subscribed to our newsletter, I really suggest you're missing something uh, in your in your weekly analysis because we go through every weekend kind of what's going on in the markets. We talk about risk management. We also tell you exactly what we're doing in our portfolios. And we write often about, hey, we're taking profits in this. We're reducing sizing in this. We're adding money to this. You know, those type of things. And when people say or when people read that we are taking profits, they assume we're selling everything in our portfolio and going to cash. That is not what we're saying. And I'm not suggesting that's what you should do. But, you know, if you have a stock that's, uh, let's say that, you know, one of, the, one of the basic rules of portfolio risk management is sizing your positions. And any great trader will tell you about the importance of sizing your positions. It's essentially the same thing as when you're betting on a hand of poker, how much do you bet? It depends on the strength of your hand. So size your positions. If you're taking a lot of risk with a position of fundamentally poor, uh, poor stock, as an example, have a smaller position in your portfolio. So if your normal position size in your portfolio is, let's say you structure your portfolio that you're going to have 60% of your portfolio in, in stocks, so you're going to have 12 positions to manage, so you have 5% in each position, right? Something like that. So you've got 12 stocks you've got to manage, you've got 60% exposure, 100% exposure, whatever it is you have a maximum position size for each position in your portfolio. So let's say your normal position size is five, but you're going to take a, a flyer on a really risky stock. So your maximum position size is two in that one. But see, we get greedy. And we go, yeah, but this stock's really going up, so I'm going to put a whole lot more money into it. And it's great until you wind up with a sign that loses 40% in a single day. And that's not uncommon. In this market, particularly, that is not uncommon. So size your risk. That's a way to hedge risk. So if that 2% flyer in DocuSigns becomes 3 or 4% of your portfolio because it's gone up so much, reduce it back to 2%. Take your profits. Old saying is nobody ever went broke taking profits. But that way, when the stock makes a 40% plunge, you're playing with house money, not your money. So sell something. Reduce the amount of risk. When the, when, when the S&P gets very extended above its long-term means and we start talking about, you know, on, on the show about, hey, markets are very overbought here, be a little bit cautious, raise a little bit of cash. Raise a little bit of cash is code word for sell something. It's not complicated. All right, another way to hedge. Buy something that goes up when the market goes down. What could that be? How about bonds? got a chart of a 10-year treasury if you're driving don't worry about it it's okay i'll explain it bonds have been going up while the market's been going down not surprising this is simply a function of risk on risk off 
psychology for the markets. When markets are under selling pressure, money's got to go somewhere because as a portfolio manager, I've got to be allocated because if I'm not, if I don't have your money allocated, and this goes for mutual funds, hedge funds, private equity funds, etc. I can't charge you a fee for sitting on cash. So as a portfolio manager, when markets are going down, I've got to put that money somewhere. So if I'm you know, raising profits, uh, you know, taking profits out of some area of my portfolio, money tends to go somewhere else. So it's a risk-off, risk-on mindset. And, and with bonds here lately, bonds have had a great run as the market's been selling off. So now we're talking about potentially a short-term rally in the markets. And that's because, look, take a look at bonds right now. They're, they're more than two standard deviations above their 50-day moving average. That is very outside the norm. And historically, when that occurs, you're going to get a pullback in bond prices. In other words, yields go up a bit as bond prices pull back because money's coming from risk off, being safety back into risk on, being stocks. And so you get a short-term rally. Don't be surprised if we don't see that in the next couple of weeks. That setup in bonds right now suggests that bonds are very overbought. So if you've been long bonds, then you may want to take a little bit of money off the table. And that's okay. Bonds work just like stocks. They go up and down in price. So take a little money off bonds. Put in cash for the moment. If you're not sure what to do with your cash, it's okay to hold cash. That's item three to hedge your portfolio. Cash is a risk-free hedge. It doesn't go up or down in value. I can hold money in cash, and I can figure out what to do next. I can wait for an opportunity to do something, whether it's to buy bonds or Bitcoin or whatever it is I want to buy. I can wait for the right opportunity. And this is important, right? Because that is the whole value of investing. See, that we've, we've also come, you know, the media has driven us to think that we have to be invested all the time or we're missing out. Let me ask you a question. If houses were the only investment vehicle on the planet, would you go buy a house every day because you've got cash? No, of course not. But that's what we think about with stocks. Let's go back to poker. We use poker as a, a, a good analogy to the stock market. It's the same thing. It's the purest form of speculation. When you're betting on a poker hand, do you bet all in every hand? No, of course not. So whoever said you had to be invested in the markets at all times, always? You don't. There's nothing wrong with sitting on some cash waiting for the right opportunity to come along to buy something that is A, a good value, and B, a real opportunity. That's the whole premise of investing to start with. Okay. Now, we can get more complicated with hedging. There's options. You can buy put options to hedge downside risk in your portfolio. You can write call options to... to lock-in gains in a particular stock, raise a little bit of premium. There's a lot of things. I, I'm not going to get into a big, long options conversation this morning because it's very. It, it does get very kind of convoluted because there's so many variations of strategies you can use with options. But if you understand options and understand how to use them, you know, using put options is a way to hedge your portfolio. You can buy out-of-the-money puts on the S&P to hedge your equity longs in your portfolio, we, we have a portfolio structure we call a platinum model that we use for 
high net worth investors, exactly what we do. We buy long, long dated out of the money put options to hedge our portfolio risk against a decline just like this. So those things can help. But the important thing here is hedging risk is not complicated. And, and it sounds it's like hedging risk. It sounds like it's, it's, it's complicated. It's not. It really comes down to two words. Sell something. That's hedging risk. Raising some cash. Taking some profits. Repositioning your portfolio. Rebalancing your portfolio. Look, if you've got a lot of stuff that's had huge gains, move them back to your original weights. If you've got stuff that's very that has not been performing, maybe you want to think about getting rid of those things. Losing money in positions is risk also. Because it's dragging down the performance of your whole portfolio. So if you need help, go by the website realinvestmentadvice.com. Send us an email. Happy to help you out with your portfolio and helping you figure out how to hedge risk if you need it. Realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back to wrap up the show. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Retirement's not what it used to be, and long-term care could enhance your golden years. The question is not whether you can afford it, but whether you can afford not to have it. Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Jonathan Penn and Chris Liebham for the basics of long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our Virtual Lunch and Learn on Long-Term Care, December 9th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Of course, uh, we're getting ready to wrap up the year, of course. This always brings up lots of issues for people and for markets and for kind of the outlook for 2022. And we're getting a lot of these outlooks for 2022 right now. You know, every major Wall Street firm's coming out. Next year is going to be S&P will be up another 9% next year, be up 10%, whatever. They're always bullish, right? They're, you know, majority of the time when you see Wall Street analyst ex expectations for the next year, they're always positive. I've never seen a year where 10 analysts came out and said, oh, next year the market's going to lose money. It never happens. The reason is, is they're trying to, they have to sell you product. So telling you to be all in cash as we go into next year is not good for them because, again, they don't make any money with you being in cash. And if you're not buying the IPOs and SPACs and things that they're issuing, and we've had a record issuance of that stuff this year, they're not making money. So, be careful with outlooks. Uh, you know, I've talked about this before, is that back in the late 90s, there was this study of meteorologists and psychics and tarot card readers and everybody that, and Wall Street analysts, everybody that made predictions about anything. And they measured the accuracy of these predictions over a period of time, and it turned out that the most accurate predictions came from meteorologists. And of course, you know, people complain about meteorologists all the time because there's no rain in the forecast and it rains, right? It's a 20% chance of rain and it, and it rains, right? Um, the point is, is that the accuracy of meteorologists is good for about three days. Outside of that, it becomes essentially the same as a coin flip. 
And this goes for, and of course, you know, once you get out further in time and, and really kind of go through other predictors, it gets, gets far worse. But the point is, is that after about three days of predictions, things get very fuzzy. And again, a coin flip will pretty much tell you what will happen by the end of the year at this point. Now, we can go back and look at statistics, seasonal tendencies. We can look at all these things. But regardless of all that, that analysis, it's still a guess. We're guessing what's going to happen in this year. And look, you know, whatever happens in the headline that, that causes algorithms to start to sell the market, who knows? We've got lots of Greek letters of the alphabet left to go through with variants of the virus. Is that what's really driving the market or is there something else happening? That's the thing you need to know about. But sentiment, you know, at this point is very negative. So statistically and seasonally, we should theoretically expect a rally heading into the end of the year. But getting into next year, and again, as you start talking about 2022, all these analysts are expecting very lucrative returns for 2022, and they're always bullish because bullish bias is what sells, as I said, it's what sells products. But betting on those type of things is very risky for your money because, again, accuracy of predictions, about three days. Outside of that, it's a coin flip. Going next year, we got a lot of things. We got a lot of headwinds. You got the Fed talking about tightening monetary policy. You've got you know potential hikes of interest rates. You've got slower economic growth coming. You've got less liquidity coming in from the markets and, and from from federal governments, uh, central banks around the country, world. All those things are headwinds. Earnings will slow, and those are all going to potentially weigh on asset prices. So, could the markets be positive again next year? Absolutely. It's about a fifty-fifty shot. <laughs> There's about a fifty-fifty chance they won't. So, I really would take a lot of these predictions as a grain of salt because they don't know. I don't know. I have you know we. We could make some guess about next year's outcomes. But, man, a lot of things have to go right. I mean, when you're talking about valuations at 40 times earnings, you're talking about earnings beginning to slow and profit margins beginning to get squeezed because of higher inflationary pressures, tightening of monetary policy. None of those things are really great for stock market returns. Now, does that mean you should all, you know, just, you know, all be in cash? No. I don't want you emailing me in, or somebody else emailing me and saying, oh, I heard you said we should be all in cash. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that there is a lot of things that have to go right next year in order to keep the markets as elevated. You know, one of the major things that have been driving the markets have been stock buybacks. Stock buybacks have made up 40% of the advance since 2011. 40%. So if you, if you stripped out stock buybacks, the market wouldn't be trading at, you know, 45, 46, 4,700. It'd be like 2,500. Be about 3% annualized rate of return, exactly what you would expect from valuations where they were when we started back in 2011. Not nearly as exciting, is it? But 
that's how much stock buybacks have contributed to the rally. So you're really depending on a lot of, of actions happening next year that happen this year. We've had a trillion dollars worth of global liquidity inflows into the U.S. market over the last year. This is one of the big drivers of asset prices. That's got to continue again next year. Problem is, is that trillion dollars is about three times the rate of global inflows that we've ever had in history. I mean, it's well outside the norm. Going back and talking about corporate buybacks. Corporate buybacks are fine as long as they've got lots of excess liquidity, but if things begin to slow down next year and corporations become more concerned about you know, maintaining profitability and maintaining their, their balance sheet caches, you know, cash levels, et cetera, they may pull back on their stock buybacks. And there's no guarantee of that, but there's a risk. So this is what I'm saying is that you know, these predictions are all kind of hinged upon everything being exactly the same next year as it was this year. And, and that's going to be a bit of a stretch. So again, I, I wouldn't, you know, this isn't something where you go and say, oh, I got to be all in cash and, you know, there's this terrible stuff. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that you need to at least be aware that all these very bullish predictions for next year are no more valid than a coin flip. And, you know, if you go back to 2007, as an example, predictions for 2008 were exceedingly bullish. Go back to 1999, predictions for 2000 were exceedingly bullish. 2001, predictions for the next year were bullish. 2002, the predictions for the next year were bullish. You should buy. More often than not, markets are positive than negative. Bear markets are very fast when they occur. Bull markets are slower to advance. So you have more bull, bull you have more bullish years than you have bearish years. The problem is, is that when the bullish the the, the bearish years occur. They wipe out years of the previous bullish advances. And it can really set you back financially. So the whole point about this is be careful with predictions. Nobody knows. All we can do is navigate the markets that we're in. You know, it's kind of like a ship captain, right? You're looking on the horizon. It's clear, clear sailing, calm seas. Everything's fine, right? Then all of a sudden, an iceberg. <laughs> That's what happens in the markets. You know, these squalls come up from nowhere. We don't, we don't, you know, we're not seeing them. They're, you know, the you listen to the media, everything's fine. The markets are rallying. It's awesome. And then all of a sudden, you get this squall. It just shows up out of nowhere. Catches you off guard. And that's when we talk about hedging risk. When, when things are too good, when things are going so well in the markets, have a regular process of 
taking some profits off the table, selling your laggards and losers. Things If the markets are going up and you've got positions in your portfolio that aren't, there's a reason. Sell them. The worst thing you can do for your portfolio long term is go, well, as soon as it comes back or, but I really like this company and I'm sure at some point down the road it'll do fine. Those things will get you in trouble more often than not. Those are emotions. Those are, those are things where you're making rationalizations for why you made a bad decision and you're going to wind up making a worse decision by trying to rationalize it. Sell it. Move on. You can always buy it back later when it starts to work. Happens all the time. Moving into the year, this is a great time. Those laggards and losers, you probably got some nice gains this year and stuff. Take some gains, sell your laggards and losers, offset your gains with your losses, reduce your tax consequences, clean up your portfolio. This is a great time of the year to start cleaning up your portfolio, getting ready for 2022, whatever it brings. Good, bad, indifferent, doesn't matter. Be ready for it. But this is a good time to start cleaning up the portfolio and getting it ready for next year. I'm Real Sense Roberts. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Send us your questions, comments, emails. Let us know what we can do for you, of course, as always. Latest blog posts are out as well on the site. We've got a lot of stuff coming up this week as well. And make sure you subscribe to our daily commentary and our weekly newsletter. Um, we'll keep you up to date on everything that we're doing with our portfolios, with your money, all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you tomorrow. It's a rich man's